Gooder Dog, everyone. Welcome to Big Mama Hex Podcast. This is episode one, and today we have a special guest, and it is Hunter Yoder. Um, he happens to be an incredible artist, and also my husband. So welcome, Hunter. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. This is so exciting. I'm I'm strangely very, very nervous about interviewing you. Well, you should be. I know. We have been together since 2011, so nine years. So I was really inspired um, to do this podcast because I'm working on a book called Big Mama Hex, and I felt like the beginning of the story actually starts with you and meeting you. So... Um, I guess my first question is, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, it was very hot. I remember that. I think it was in August. July. July, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my uh, roommate at the time, Dave Aponte, the famous artist, um, I guess he brought you over to look at one of our sh shows we were having at the Hex Factory. And, um, I was like really impressed that Dave had such a beautiful woman on his arm, and uh, <laughs> I think I mentioned that. That's so funny. So, for those that don't know, in our new life, um, what is the Hex Factory? The Hex Factory is um, um, the original Hex Factory is in Philadelphia, at a, a building that I owned that I had a gallery and, and created Hex signs. Uh, the name comes from um, I worked used to work with Andy Warhol in New York on his editing equipment and um, at his factory uh, down in uh, Union Square and then later in Murray Hill. And so um, when I bought the place down there and decided to do it, I wanted to call it the Hex Factory. That's sort of a continuation of, of what uh, my relationship with uh, uh, the fates. The fates, yeah. The three fates, yeah. The idea, oh, <laughs> the idea of surrender, keeps coming up. Um, like I interviewed Justin Schmoyer, and that came up for him as like how he finally got to the point he needed to get to was after surrendering. And I feel like part of my journey and my experience with you was that, like in the past, they had put up brick walls and um, and really protected myself from 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 men and partners and then with you it was just a surrender and that's where I really hit a pivot in my life and my trajectory and my work so I wanted to um, share that it's very interesting yeah I wanted to share that because we've been together now nine years and married for seven and we have three little ones in our house and a lot going on all the time and we get really busy and into these routines, these mom and pop routines. And then you sort of forget what brought you together, especially because I think, and you can agree with me on this because I'm right, that um, you and I are fundamentally pretty different, you know, but, but our blood connects us and our connection to culture and, um, I think the way that we operate in life is very similar. Well, the first thing that I think that happened is I um, uh, I put a, like a, a charm, a 
I drew it inside of a closet. Oh yeah, I remember that. And so that might explain why the you know the walls came down because I sort of pulled a few things. Well, it was interesting because I had experience. I was I don't know how old I was. I was like thirty something, young thirties. But um, I had never had a man feel so. Um, like exciting and I'd never been excited by like somebody like pursuing me in the way that you did so I mean good job like it was really exciting <laughs> especially at that point in my life I was a single mom in school really really broke and it was just it was just such a it was like a second life so that's where my story begins for this book meeting you and um I was I am Pennsylvania Dutch and half Pennsylvania Dutch, half Welsh, um, but had not really been exposed to our culture. I grew up in Bucks County and you grew up around right. here. And that was something that I think there was so many elements. There was like a physical attraction, um, obviously sexual chemistry, and then we had art in common. But then there was this other level of connectedness with the culture and you weren't afraid or inhibited like my family had shown me the culture in a very like wrapped up precisely um what's the word I want sprinkling that's not the word I'm waiting for him to pass so I can edit him out well um I mean I grew up on a farm so I, I have more of the farm culture and perhaps your family well Olive wasn't wasn't a city girl or a, right. a townie, but I um, mean you know, the townie approach is a little different uh, to the Pennsylvania Dutch culture. Um, the real the real stuff is on the farm, and uh, so there's that animal aspect that you acquire, and that's always worked really well for me. <laughs> okay, so. I think you were, cons you know, sometimes, you know, you, you handle a woman, or in, in your case, you were, you were quite a woman. And I never had a Welshie before, so it was a unique experience. But anyway, uh, it, it's like um, I used, was raised uh, riding horses and ponies and stuff like that, and there's a lot of similarities and, uh, with uh, riding a beautiful woman. Horse, so it's something you pick up on the farm and you don't necessarily get these things in the town. No, definitely not. And you know, generationally, I was raised um, generationally like, like porn was very much a thing. Like, it wasn't, you know, like you kind of learned how to do things through porn, kind of, and that's like disgusting sex and not for every day right. or like not another level. You know what I'm saying? It's like very it's like, scripted, like yeah, or it's, it's not. It's detached from. Yeah, it's reality. really just because you're only hitting the physical with that kind of sex, so or that kind think, of connection. Yeah, and you think that's what it is. Yeah, and so. it's not. Yeah, and I thought that until basically I met you because then there's all these other layers. Oh my God, what the hell? Um, there's the physical, then there's the mental, and the spiritual, and the emotional, and all of these things together, working together in that exchange well then there's the ancestors so they seem very pleased <laughs> well 
You know, I know my Olive, my grandmother Olive loved you. And she did not love everyone, that's for sure. Yeah, well, she was the real McCoy. Yeah, she's the real deal. And she's still around us, right? She haunts our son because he's really mean to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we go visit Olive out there in Spainsville. Yeah, often. Yeah. We just did the other day. We passed by and said hello to her and Grandpa. Yeah, that's really special out there. That yeah. That is like a little picture storybook. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I don't know if you feel this when you go out there, but you've been in the area longer too, but I do actually feel like a physical difference, like a like a magnetism to the land like and the ground. Like, you know, you learn about grounding techniques when you're learning about like uh, centering yourself or like calming your anxiety. But it's like that when I go to Spangsville or, or like anywhere in that Oli area, it's very um, like a palpable feeling from the actual earth, like drawing me in. Like I said in my interview with Justin, it's like um, the ancestors are rolling out the hills and like bringing me in. Like you imagine like, like if you're doing um, weaving or something, you're like actually drawing, you know, like it's very, yeah, I mean, like the, a visual feeling. Yeah, these only hills are really spooky. Um, yeah, they really are. I yeah. mean, I'm I, I was raised in more northern Berks, like Kutztown, and mm -hmm. uh, and to get to the south, you have to go up, up over the hills, over Dryville, New Jerusalem, mm -hmm. and down the other side, and uh, and so it's been sort of a new experience for me living in this part of Berks County than in the north. In the north it was just, well, there were the, the Blue Mountains, uh, the, the Blue Barrack and Dutch, and uh, the Pinnacle was always visible and that was always like a focal point, but here it's like, seems older and more ancestral and uh, so. Well, your ancestors were here as well. Not yeah, necessarily where Oli, you grew up, yeah. Yeah, in uh, Yoderville or, or right. Pleasantville, that's where they And I know when we visited the Kaim house, it was very palpable. And I know I talked subsequently to Susan Hess about that place, and she was also feeling it, feeling it real hard. There, it's yeah. very, very... It was pleasant, though, for me. I, oh, yeah, not bad. Well, yeah, her. but I mean, you have... I mean, it's your ancestors, so... It didn't feel bad. Like for me, it felt a little scary because it's not really a familiar place for me. When I feel it like in Spangsville or like at the Fisher House or anything like that, it's very familiar to me because I've been going there so long. Oh, well, yeah. You know, so maybe that was the reason it felt not um, intrusive to you because you're more familiar with it, whether it's through actually visiting physically or your ancestral memory yeah well the, i think at the kime house i mean what's really cool about it is it's actually kind of like medieval europe yeah it's definitely <laughs> different i mean it's really weird it's funny because the kime house and the fisher house remind me of each other in that they're very different than anything else around here it's like very fucking weird and like not typical of the era or the area which is really interesting well, I mean, the, the Turk House, I think, is, has all the, also has that medieval yeah. aspect. Uh, the Fisher House is, what, is, what are they Georgian. called? Georgian. Yeah, the Georgian. And the, it's just kind of weird, though, in, around but here. But the barn, that uh, yeah, the, the old barn one. is very strange. Yeah. And, uh, We've only been there once, me and you, 
you went right when we dropped off the hex sign. No, I've been there before. I mean, just the barn. Oh, the barn. They never show that barn when you're going and doing well, the family tour. The barn. the barn is not behind. Yeah, the real barn's behind. I'm the... talking about the real barn. I'm talking about the real barn too, and it's funny because the real barn, the real barn's behind the barn barn. Right. The one they use for the yeah. produce. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The real barn's very cool. And it's not a bank barn. It's pre-bank no, barn. It's no, very it's, cool. It's, very spooky. It's very peculiar. Yeah. And I had a hard time because I know it was kind of dangerous. They didn't want me in there really too much taking pictures. But I do have some pictures. Um, so you touched on, I wanted to talk about um, your early life. Because I think this, I just listened to your interview with, um, remind me um, the name. Uh, um, Heathen Heart or something like that. Yeah, Hearth and Helm, is it? Hearth and Helm. Hearth and Helm. Yeah, um, those good people out in uh, yes. Indiana. It was a fabulous interview, and it left me wanting more. And, yeah, and <laughs> shut up, Hunter. <laughs> um, I wanted to like fill in sort of some of the areas that I felt like it excited me to hear more about. And one of them would be, you talked about your college life and your experience at art school. But I'm really interested, and I've heard a lot of really great stories, but I think it would be nice to share with other people um, some of your early life. Um, you know, we have a son who's really connected to nature, and I think that comes from you. Well, I mean, I love nature, too, but again, you grew up in a very different kind of place than I did. Um, if you could speak a little bit about that, kind of getting lost, you would talk a lot about taking walks and sort of like just getting lost in nature. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up. It was like a, it was like the, the one the one farm was like 88 acres, and uh, so as a young kid, uh, I would just me and the dog would just go. This was like before pre-kindergarten even, and uh, we uh, would just walk up over the hills, and um, so I uh, there's certain plants I think that I came in contact with. Uh, like Jack in the Pulpit would be one, and uh, uh, probably the Taurus Dramonium I must have come in contact with because I remember it from the smell. Mom, it's like I'm close the door. Yeah, close the door. Move the fan and close the door. Move the fan in here. And close the door and stop coming in and interrupting us. I can just cut that out. Mm -hmm. Keep and, going. And uh, and then I think the most important thing about growing up on that farm was my relationship with the stream, it was the Saucony stream. Saucony is like a Lenai Lenape for Little Bear. Anyway, there was this whole like continuum, the, the stream, um, um, the flow, the direction, the... Uh, it would, you know, it would flood in, in the spring and then even in the winter, and and um, so it, there was all the life connected to a stream. I mean, there was like freshwater uh, shellfish. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw, you know, uh, the, the gray herrings, the great blue herring. Uh, they would be there. They were after sh little shellfish. Uh, we fished uh, the stream, uh, sunnies, bass, uh, catfish, rock bass. Uh, there were water snakes. There were, uh, you know, certain parts there were frogs. And, and then there would be little connecting brooks wow. that um, 
we could I could follow up to their source. So it was like really this this whole thing. And then eventually, when we got a little bit older, we would raft down the stream and when the water was high. And uh, the Sockety Stream, um, if you take it far down enough to Virginville, it connects with the Maiden Creek. Uh, and so that becomes a larger creek, and then that um, also will connect down to the Schuylkill, Schuylkill River, which goes down to Philadelphia. And oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so it was this, like, this sort of connection with uh, water and the land and the hills and, the, and life that abounded by the stream and it was like almost living in a swamp uh, like Pennsylvania has this real swamp like aspect to it um, in the summer it just uh, the undergrowth is very heavy and uh, you have to be able to know how to navigate through through the swamp and uh, I'd always impress my uh, uh, towny uh, buddies, or even at uh, going to camp, I would impress them because I had been exposed to so much poison ivy on the farm mm -hmm. that I was basically immune to it. So I would wow. impress them by picking poison ivy. And, oh my goodness! And eating it. And, <laughs> but I living living here in the town now, I think I've lost my immunity to it. But. Uh, that's how it works. Well, I noticed it disappeared, and we don't use Roundup, so I'm wondering. Well, I pulled it. Yeah. As much as I could. I did notice, to your point, not to get off course, but um, all of our kale has been protected, I really do think, from the butsman, from those damn caterpillars. I really do. I really do think that, because they're nowhere to be found. Wow. It's very cool. Very cool shit. Um, so what about, um, you talk a lot at home about helping your mom, and that's sort of how you learned the very craftsman trade of the part of the artwork that you do, um, creating stretcher bars, stretching mm -hmm. canvases, and, and, and you always tell me, too, the kind of work that you do to help me and support me in my practices is similar to what you would do for her, because Hunter, I don't know if you all know, he does a lot of the back door, the back... <laughs> He does a lot of the behind-the-scenes work. Um, he cuts my discs for me. What else do you do? You do all kinds of shit. You cut all the old wood. You frame stuff up for me. Um, all my shows, you really helped me with that. So that's phenomenal and such a great um, contribution from you to me. So thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, then... Um Again, with the stream, all sorts of wood would come down with the floods, and so I would scrounge the wood. And, I, and my mother was a, a very good artist, very, kind of very different than than what I the style I've developed. Um, she was really a very tact. She would paint with palette knives, and she was very had a very textural mm -hmm. aspect to her painting. And she would do landscapes to life. Um, and uh, so I, we even collaborated. She, we worked. I would stretch uh, burlap over frames that I made for her, and then have to jest with like crazy to fill yeah. in all the, the gaps. And she, and she really went. She actually painted uh, the old mill there where uh, uh, 
Uh, Steve Sheridan lives there. there you oh. know, there's a, you know where he lives there with that? I don't. There's a covered bridge and an old mill. Anyway, she painted, used the, the, uh, the burlap uh, stretchers on that. And, uh, and then she would always do uh, linoleum cut mm -hmm. uh, Christmas cards. And oh, I, really? And so I, I would help her with that. And it was like making cookies on the making yeah. cards. And then I started, I started doing woodcuts, and I really liked to do woodcuts. And, uh, and I would do woodcuts of strange trees in, on the countryside wow. that I would go and draw. Uh, so that was sort of my uh, orientation. And, and what's your mom's name for everyone oh, to Virginia. know? Virginia. Virginia Yoder. E. Yoder, yes. Virginia E. Yoder. She just recently passed away. Um, and... Uh, uh, she had five children, and uh, she's married to my father, Dr. Robert Yoder. And uh, I, th and my, he, my father also had a lot of art in his background. Like his really sister cool. was a very well known in the the Burke's Guild for I think floral, dried floral arrangements or something. Yeah. And uh, he ended up uh, doing paintings towards the end of his life, and. Uh, to help pay for medical bills. Wow, that's incredible. So it, it's on both sides pretty much. And I think the Pennsylvania Germans and Pennsylvania Dutch, um, that, that really is what they're known for is their handiwork. And, you know, they would always be constantly creating something for everyday use. And, uh, and, and uh, now you see it. Museums. Yeah. Yeah, busy hands, happy hearts, right? Yeah. Yeah, and if you're in if you're in the area, you can walk into Quitstown Dental, is it called? And there's a really fabulous collection of um, Hunter's mom's work um, on display in their dental office. So I'm sure they're going to enjoy that. Yeah, I would love to go in there and photograph. You really need to. Yeah. It's it's incredible. I went and got my teeth cleaned about 3 years ago, I think, and it was really incredible to yeah. see. It's a large body of work and, and very incredible work. I mean, I really appreciate and it, it. And it's that period, like, when I was growing up, like, mid-60s. Yeah. It's incredible. It's landscapes, but they're very abstracted, and, and the textures really can only... You can only see it in person to really um, get the whole, the whole feel of it. But it was incredible. I was really, really impressed. I was very excited to see that. It was neat. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Virginia was quite the... Um, quite the beauty too. Uh, she was known as the purple lady in her time and uh, she uh, dressed all in purple, had a purple purse, purple wow. lipstick. She drove in a purple station wagon and she uh, drove around buying purple things. <laughs> uh, and so she was kind of like um, basically a, a good witch and uh, she, uh, I know she put a charm on me because I can't like Everyone's getting tattoos and stuff and wearing stuff. I can't, it's just not possible for me to put anything on my body. And I'm, I'm pretty sure she put a charm on me that's still pretty strong. And so she had that kind of reputation. And, yeah. Um, she, um, the, one of my early mentors, uh, a guy named Boomba, had a a uh, used bookstore and used book antique and herb store in East Main Street, which at the time was kind of the bad part of Kutztown. <laughs> and uh, she stopped in there, was 
you know, he, he was like a, besides being like a uh, quote unquote broker, he was also kind of a dirty old man. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess he made a pass at her, and which, which happened a lot with my mother. And uh, so uh, instead, she sort of uh, um, put me on to him as an apprentice. And so I, at an early age, I was in the woods with uh, Bumba looking for uh, ginseng and golden seal. Which he would uh, he would gather and sell, and uh, as well as his old book business, and ends up he ends up being a big guy. I mean, I know um, I had mentioned this when I had some brief affiliation with the three sisters, and they like freaked out. That, oh my God, Bumba! We haven't heard anything good about him, and I'm, <laughs> well, I'm saying, well, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, but that had some great memories in the 60s um, she'd had her eight track stereo in the in her uh her um station wagon we'd get on a super highway and she'd turn on the music and like she'd forget to get off at her exit <laughs> that sounds like me what kind of stuff would your mom listen to i'm trying what to did think. she really enjoy uh, I know, like the first music that she'd allow me to to listen to or to buy or something was like Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and, and and then the Mamas and the Papas. Oh came yeah, out and sure. For some reason, she thought that was safe enough for me to <laughs> listen to. So I was a big Mamas and Papas fan. Yeah, me too. Oh really? Well. well it's a big Money, lady, you know? Yeah, she was the dream. boss. She was the boss of the big ladies. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I like big ladies, you know? Mama Cass. Yeah. That's really cool. And what about your art teachers? I think you you had an high school art teacher. How yeah. how did how did that influence uh, your yeah. trajectory? Well, I had uh, I had Nina Dietrich was my art teacher at Castano Area High School, and I had that my last couple of years like I opted out of taking all these math courses. I, Lucky. Because <laughs> I you know I was kind of a badass, and there was some issue. Kind with, of. Yeah. With, right. There was some kind of issue with. Uh, the math teacher, because he was the father of a good friend of mine. I don't know. Oh. Something happened. Anyway, okay. so I had a lot of double art classes. That's awesome. Uh, we did some silk screen, did a lot of woodcuts, which That's I wish. That's really cool. I wish I would have, I would still have them. Uh, but, like, uh, people in the family have, were trying to, have, were so busy trying to erase my existence of I guess they got rid of all of them but um so she was good and then went to Kutztown State College now Kutztown University uh, and I didn't really want to go to school at all I didn't want to go to college um 
was really, and I still, I'm really not a real fan of uh, education, the education system. Um, but my parents insisted that this was, they would go there. At that time, it was inexpensive. Right. And, um, and that I could stay close to home because I, I was, I was pretty wild and they <laughs> thought it was the safest thing. And, uh, mm -hmm. So that's where I went and I had a, I had a ball. I, I, yeah. I loved it. It must have been fun. Um, kind of pre-computer days you know it must have been really really fun because I I went to school in 99 and it was computers were important but there was still an element I went for photography so we still had wet labs and it was really just so different to experience oh, yes. the transition into all digital it was real and you know graphic design back in those days you did a lot of work by hand you know like all my professors at Kutztown did all their graphic design work by hand in college you know which is really incredible and sort of, I think it's kind of the pendulum swinging back. People want to see that more often. Like the letterpress has gotten a lot of steam. Um, you know, a lot of throwback uh, processes are getting steam because there's that element of using your hands and working those muscles. And that's where I think, because I do computer work, I think you lose that ancestral um, connectedness sometimes in the in the computer. Well, I mean, I also at the time uh, it was performance art. Right, you did a lot of video stuff, So right? I did uh, video and film and yes. pursued that and then when I went to New York um, continued with that and had success showing at prestigious places but there really wasn't any money in it and the, right. and the technology kept you know, it was you know, it's still the way it is and sure. I, I sort of got you know, I just got fed up with the technology constantly uh, mm -hmm. changing and uh, the, the cost so went back to painting and, yeah um, haven't missed the technology that much so what led you back into painting I know you've talked about having the uh, working at the sign working and doing billboards painting hand oh oh yeah when I when I left college I worked for a time uh, painting billboards in, in the Allentown area the, the the route 22 at the time now it's 78 was uh, lots of lots of billboards. And yeah, I worked for FKM Advertising, and it and I mean it was pretty rough. I mean they painted a lot of them in in the house, and then, right. but and then you'd take them out, and put them together. Uh, but a lot of them were repaint jobs or, or mm. new paint jobs we do on location, and we worked. I remember working January, February out. And wow, long johns. And, freezing your hands off. Um, and then also, uh, it's like you have like the, the not scaffolded, but there's like a rig with two pulleys on either end and a, a platform, you, and that you'd have to learn how to tie that off because you'd be yeah. pretty high in the air. It was, yeah. it was pretty cool. I And the paint was mobile oil. That was who, what paint they used. And uh, so I grabbed a couple gallons before I... I left there and uh, went to New York and made some real money. Yeah. So I know you talked about it with um, Hearth and Helm about your first experience painting hack signs for your dad's barn. Oh, yeah. And then you sort of rediscovered that idea in college and experimented a bit. But then there was this huge gap, right, when you were in New York between the college experimentation and then when you revisited it 
um, can you talk about what brought you back and, and sort of how much time had gone by? So you were like in college in your 20s and then when did you rediscover it in this thread of the... Um, oh, that's a great question. Uh, thanks. Well, I mean, <coughs> I had always, I always kept doing them. Uh, oh, okay, like, I didn't my know kid, that. Well, I mean, because uh, when my kids would go to elementary school or whatever, at the time I would uh, show them uh, how to make a hex sign. So, oh, okay. Um, pretty much what happened was I got involved. I, you know, I had to make some money mm -hmm. and uh, get involved with uh, construction and renovation uh, in in Brooklyn. And uh, so I, I kind of at that time I was feeling as though like you know you start off being a painter and you start off being a sculptor but the ultimate art form is architecture mm -hmm. a building and so I, I still and it's like, utilitarian too so it's very dutchy of you yeah, yeah it pays off uh, <laughs> yes. I mean but buildings are like the ultimate I mean for me it's still I still I still have a couple buildings and um and then as things got a little bit easier, I started getting involved with uh, shamanism and using plants, and uh, um, and I was particularly interested in uh, South American shamanism, especially the high Peruvian uh, stuff, uh, using uh, San Pedro San Pedro cults, and I uh, used some San Pedro myself because it was reminiscent of uh, very. It was like exactly like. Um, my use of peyote when back in the early 70s. Um, so through that experience, the, 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 the cactus, um, which is a very benevolent plant, benevolent form, um, sort of instructed me that the shamanism that I sought was back in Berks County in my own culture. and. Um, so that was kind of an epiphany for me, mm. and so I started exploring uh, what that could possibly mean, and uh, I think doing a search or whatever, uh, shamanism, Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, um, Braukerai came up. So I got involved with uh, groups that were um, uh, discussing um, Braukerai, uh, powwow magic, and uh, and then um, came across the work of a Lee Gandhi, Lee R. Mm. Gandhi, um, in which he was using hex signs, he was using them uh, with magical intent, which was something a little different than my experience with them growing up in Kutztown. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very intriguing. And as soon as that happened, uh, um, you know, actually putting magical content into hex signs, it sort of just took off from there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's almost like you're led then by the work. You don't really have to focus it anymore. It's once you get on that track, it's like you hook into the track and it's just, it takes off. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And, and then, it's still going. Yeah. And there, and there was an audience for it. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to like read, I, like with, uh, contemporary art, it was just like this, uh, you had to like invent some sort of persona that was yeah. totally unique. It seemed really alien, and and, and uh, I don't know. It, the contemporary art um, 
seemed to be very prejudiced in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. anyway, folk art, I mean, once I got involved with folk art, it was like, um, I think like I've said this before, it was like letting the fox in with the chickens. It, mm -hmm. was, it was just merciless. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I had to kind of pivot like that too, um, where you're talking about with the, um, the cactus, where my professor at Tyler, um, Papone, sat us all down and asked us what our connection to our culture was and I was like, oh fuck, like, um, no, I have none. <laughs> because, I mean, I guess the word I was looking for earlier, not sprinkles, but like subversive, I had connections to Pennsylvania Dutch culture, but it was very, like, um, secondary. It wasn't, it wasn't very strong. And I feel like, in my perspective, it would have helped ground me as a teenager and felt more of a belonging when I had none growing up, you know? So I think it's something in my practice as a parent and our practice as parents together um, that we really try and instill in our kids that um, anchor to belonging. Regardless if they decide to rebel against it like we did someday, they'll, they'll always be able to come back to that, even if we're not around. That's home to them. Pennsylvania Dutch culture's home. And the Oli Hills are home to them, whether or not they like it. So that's an interesting idea, just... um. You know, you can leave, but it's always home, right? Well, there's always this, you know, I mean, Western culture, and especially in, like, late 20th century, now 21st century, there was this uh, uh, interest in the general Western culture yeah. to have, have interest, let's say, in the uh, Native Americans. Or right or the Africans, or cultures, or Asian, or anything but our own European culture. And uh, so that, I think, has changed because, I mean, you were having, uh, you know, people appropriating culture. And yeah. Now, now they're very, now everything, everybody's very touchy about that. So um, I just decided to go and appropriate my own culture. Well, I think that's an interesting perspective because you and I are very different in like the eras that we grew up in and our um, what we were influenced by. And my sensitivities are very different and very um, my sensitivities are influenced by like growing up in the '90s, which was like um, the era of political correctness and things like that. Right. But my parents, as their rebel rebellion against their upbringing, was to create a sort of very neutral like we're American environment and you know that's that's okay that's how they chose to do things but I think it kind of um it uh blew back or what's that word you know it like um cake backed back on me because here I was the only German that I know of growing up my mom wanted me to be in a diverse area but I was the only one and it felt very isolating yeah. it really sure did but um it's interesting because uh I think I think of a quote from one of my professors at Tyler um, or at Temple um, about education. It, it used to be considered the melting pot, um, America, but now they like to refer to it as a salad bowl. And I, I really appreciate that difference because we don't. I grew up in the melting pot, and I want to see the culture in America become a salad bowl where we all have our own identity. Like I'm a fucking cucumber. You're a carrot, and that's okay. But cucumbers and carrots together taste really good. But a cucumber shouldn't 
want to be a carrot and a carrot shouldn't want to be a cucumber and a cucumber shouldn't want to destroy a carrot and vice versa you know so this idea that it shouldn't be a melting pot where we all lose our own identity in order to like um make it a clean slate or even things out it should actually be an evolution of of our cultural identity in a way that we can like coexist but i think that's an interesting thing to notate um all about the salad but anyway um well well um my uh aspect to that would be that what you call the melting pot um i call the monoculture where right that's that would be a new where everyone is the same yeah and they get fed all this crap on Mm -hmm. television or now social media is very big for that and uh so in it makes it easier for the globalists to control the the people so they do what they are told and buy what they're told to buy and uh so everyone's just like a unit Right. That, that consumes specific things to make the uh, powers that be, you know, in control and even richer than they already are. Right. So there's no interest in uh, actually, uh, uh, you know, this this idea of multiculturalism is just a failed idea. Well, I think it stems from political correctness because you can even go back and watch, and you know, I don't really want to go down too much of a political thing, but. Um, if you go back and watch like old clips of Hillary Clinton you know things have changed a lot but I think you're saying but I think there's enough people who don't want it to be that way but I think it's always been that way it's just been called different things like the melting pot or political correctness now it's evolved to monoculture like it's still the same idea at the end of the day that like the TV social media social media heads are all trying to control the narrative but that there's a few smart people out there that realize that's not actually what's happening and that we should, you know, like step into real life and have just like getting off the computer and making art in real life with our hands, walk into your society that you live in or your, or your town or whatever and experience people firsthand instead of being told what you're supposed to experience and how you're supposed to feel about things. I hate this idea of this pressure, which is why I basically stay political free I keep that to myself um or or religious talking about religion because I hate this idea of feeling this pressure that you have to succumb to some some sort of like ideals and you're not allowed to have your own thoughts and if you do then you're automatically like an awful person and should be should be burned at the stake it feels a lot like a witch hunt every day on the internet it's awful well well, I think what what should unite us as Americans is freedom yeah freedom the idea of freedom that we used to feel like we had that and, we don't anymore and <laughs> yeah. this idea where they have to uh, like this identity politics where everyone's fit everyone's divided yeah into, into categories um, divides us and so what unifies it's us? it's toxic yeah what unifies us is that we're all Americans and true we, why are we Americans because we want our freedom right Right. To pursue what we want to pursue religiously, economically, culturally. We don't want to be um, censored. Right, right. That's what's important. And, um, and, you know, they're playing games now, like, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, there was part of me that was really scared making my Belschnickels, which I've mentioned to you many times, that I would get, eventually I would get, like, um, confronted, like, 
about the, the soot on his face being blackface, and I was always concerned about that because of the time that I grew up in and and the education that I got, and it was it was like um, when you think of like recovering Christian or like somebody like trying to dismantle or unlearn these like ways to divide us that are actually not real. They're just like devices that that controlling people use to like divide us instead of unite us. Because when you look at it, like when I don't look at the news, I don't look at social media. The experience of COVID nineteen and and quarantine has actually been like a beautiful experience bringing families closer together, communities, like, it sort of reminds me of what happened after 9-11. It brought people together in a way that, you know, sort of transformed the way we feel about each other. And I think um, it slowed everyone down. Not that it's a blessing in any way, but I do think, like, there's silver linings. And all you hear on the news and in social media is all the bad, the bad, the bad, the negative stuff. And I also think we're going through a transformation in education because of this as well. And I think it needed to happen. It, it, it needed to happen, and I wonder how much of it is, like, divine intervention or everything. Because education needed to be changed, and it needed to be dismantled the way it had been operating. But anyway, that's on another subject. Um, I did want to touch upon, and I forgot to mention this in your childhood, uh, the green period, which I always like to hear about, that you had. It oh. sort of reminds me of your mom's purple. Oh, yes. Yes. Was it inspired by mom? No. No? It was all... No, it was uh, adolescence. I guess I was 14 years old. My favorite year. And um, I, I would, um, I don't know. Green at that point, at that time, for me, represented madness, mm. insanity, which I thought insanity was really cool. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, like I was interested in people like Van Gogh mm-hmm. and. and, and and people that, uh, he had, like, I thought paranoid schizophrenia, that, wow, I wish I was paranoid schizophrenia. Oh my God. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I, I was 14, so I didn't have a driver's license yet. So I would, um, we lived four miles out of town. So I was always going into town to the park for, you know, for uh, socializing with. Sure. And whatever so I would walk in I would walk uh, I would dress only in green and a long a long green coat and a staff and uh, and um, that's how I got around and people would offer me rides I say no I don't want to ride I want to walk and actually walking is really a great weight I mean everyone's zooming around in these damn cars you don't see anything uh, like just the other day I was on my bicycle and and, and I have this thing where magic carpets come to me. Uh, it is really weird. It's just like the third magic carpet that's come to me. And Are you talking about my carpet as one of the magic carpets? It always ends up that way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, guys, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> there was a magic carpet in the middle of the road. So I jumped off my bike and rolled it up. And, Talked to the guy. He said, "Oh yeah, I was just gonna get that out of the way." I said, "Is it your carpet?" He said, "No." I said, "Okay." He says, "You can keep it here if you want to come back for it." I said, "No, that's all right." And I just uh, threw it over my shoulder and got some really interesting stuff in, in that way. But magic carpets is definitely—I don't know—it's uh, starting to become an issue. You know, the real McCoy, the real wool from wherever they come from. The Middle East. I don't know. Maybe it's that Turkish blood. 
Yeah. Thanks again for pointing that out. <laughs> you don't have it. I have it, right? You have it too? Oh, yeah. I'm a Turk, y'all, which means I'm from the Turks. <sighs> so I lied when I say it was half. Flush enough, that's made it. I'm full of shit. Um, okay, and what do you think about Deutsch folk art in general? Well, I mean, everyone, like, they want to pigeonhole it uh -oh. into hex signs as just being hex signs. And, and honestly, hex signs, they were the last actual form, like, 1840s they started. And then mm -hmm. there was the thing in the in the 1949 when they invented the... the the disc yeah but anyway i mean it's we both draw from uh, uh fractor mm -hmm. and, and the first person i heard say that fractor was an influence on hex signs was uh, ivan hoy yes but uh more than that uh the pottery the tinware mm -hmm. the butter molds mm -hmm. the, the, the dower chests the sharon schnitt uh, i mean the, the whole culture the, the motifs just are are the same so mm -hmm. it's like why divide everything up so we um, we uh, draw from all of that and I, I would say folk art the difference really with folk art and contemporary art mm. is like I'll do the same motif I'll do one motif over and over and over and over right. again and it's kind of like musicians like they uh, they mm -hmm. play the same song over and over and over again, and it's always a little different every mm -hmm. time we play it. It's always mm -hmm. a little different every time we do it, but and it kind of adds to it. There's that yeah, you're going through the same sort of ritualistic right. aspect, and you you you're very familiar with it, and so you can really focus in on it. Yeah, and it's funny because when I talked to Ivan, I just interviewed him too for for a different project. Um, I talked to him about his visual language and how once you get to be doing those motifs that that um draw you in it gets to become second nature like when you're learning a new language it's kind of takes a little longer but now it's almost sort of like your hands are doing all the work and you're just there for the ride you know so you kind of feel that way that you have sort of the certain the certain motifs that really speak to you um that you sort of you're putting together a puzzle each time like how you're gonna like uh, arrange them and sort of make them into what you think it's almost like hieroglyphics kind of you know like i always think of it that way anyway do you think of it that way um because i'm a visual learner you're like a little smarter than me and like you learn the sort of typical way well I, yeah i think i use a lot more of the uh, uh sacred geometry aspect yeah and, i and, too, uh, yeah i mean like too bad at best for that well no i mean you use it as well but it, for me, then it that creates the focus. So yeah. So I always put like a little. Usually, I always put a little red dot right in the center, and that is like in uh, the Hindu, it's called the Bindu. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 honestly, the whole Germanic flow of culture, it all our ancestry, it all flows back towards India, mm -hmm. not the Middle East. It's, right. It's really India, and. Um, so a lot of the, the hexology I, I use is uh, from uh, Yantra uh, and um, the secret enclosure. And uh, so, and that really, really, that aspect of it is what really intrigues me about uh, hex, hex signs, hexology, and, our, and using the word hex, mm -hmm. besides it's 
double or triple meanings. That being six, the number six. Right, right. Uh, the hexes is which in German, mm -hmm. and uh, the hex sign, which is sort of a geometrical construction. Uh, it it's feels right. Yeah. Just like the color black, there really is only one color. Everyone's <laughs> totally confused about that. There's only one color, black. Which, bitches, look, look what she's wearing. Look what I'm wearing. That's how we roll. Yeah, but you know, it's not actually a color. <laughs> yeah, it's a way of life. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh my God, you're so funny. Um. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, so there's a lot to talk about. We're already an hour in, but, um, goddesses, witchcraft, hexerai, mountain Mary, <laughs> go. Um, well, the gods and goddesses are very important. And my, uh, gateway into that was through the, the elder Fathark of runes. And um, again, in Brooklyn, I had a really good friend who was a rabbi, and uh, he, we started talking about magical alphabets. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, Hebrew is a magical alphabet. Greek is another one, uh, and uh, the 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 runes, Germanic runes, is, is a magical alphabet. So I tried it out with the you know um, I tried it out with the Hebrew, uh, and it, it was very interesting. Uh, and and usually what how it works with magical alphabets is that they they double not only as um, letters to make words they also are numbers mm. the earliest form of numbers um, so when I was introduced to the runes I felt like immediately an affinity to that and mm -hmm. it's just something that you can't really describe why mm -hmm. I rationalize. Uh, you might consider it might be like a, gene a genetic memory. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so as I sort of introduced them into the hex work, um, something happened. It was almost like a thermonuclear explosion when I started putting bind runes and runes or a runic ring as a border on hex signs. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, wrote an article for a magazine that came out of Portland, Oregon called Hex Magazine um, about my usage of, uh, of this of the Germanic runes and fine runes with hex signs and I, it came out in 2008 and um, and, and the, the, the heathen community really really connected with it mm -hmm. and, uh, and I, I think what happened is that uh, I was looking at a lot of stuff and you see like uh, a lot of early New York Times articles or articles on, uh, you'll see uh, maybe uh, Johnny or Eric Claypool and they'll, they'll have an article where the, he, he was the sole practitioner of a dying art and then after I, after I came along and started doing Introducing uh, different con this 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 new content into hex science, it wasn't like it was definitely no longer a dying art, and and I think uh, to 
to a large degree, you and I both uh, are, are to thank for the, uh, the renewed interest in uh, you know, a larger sense, a larger community uh, of, of doing hex sign work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can see the influence. I mean, if you follow the hashtag on Instagram, you can certainly run the thread back to you and your work. Um, I think that's incredible. My question now is very interesting that pops into my head because when you're talking, I'm seeing visual, like I'm all seeing pictures, right? So, I mean, when I met you doing a lot of rune, rune work with the hex signs, mm -hmm. and now um, there's been sort of, um, there's two different kinds of work that you do. You'll do some more very traditional Pennsylvania work. But I always wonder, um, are you still putting an intention or a rune on that work without it being visual? Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, is that still a practice that you use on the on the traditional signs? Do you still use the runes in a way that may not be visible, but they're still there because it's in all of your work? Or is that something that you... Because I know I have, like, commercial practices, and then I have work that's, like, the work, you know? And then there's the work that I use commercially or, or custom pieces for people, but commissions um, that may not always have that magical intention set. But I'm wondering if just in general, like, you put yourself in that mind, in that... In, in that space as a practice well I mean if it wasn't for the runes I don't I don't think that'd be a hex sign right and so I, it's always I've told there a, a Rob um, our friend Rob that um, mm -hmm. and it's just the truth it, yeah because it, it really is like the uh, it's like putting gas in a car you know yeah yeah um, but the way I work is uh, it's the focus the the repetition mm -hmm. um, and the striving for uh, you know the completion mm. um, so and it's really strange because I'm I'm talking to people that have bought my work and their experience they talk about meditating on it yeah yeah and and what they're telling me is almost it's like the the reverse i mean it's like basically the mental process i went through making it mm -hmm. so you know however you want to take that that's how i work it's like that um that's very interesting that people are are meditating uh to them because that's how I think. Basically, mm -hmm. what they're talking about meditating is the way I actually think. So I'll look at it, and I'll be thinking, well, we do this, 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 this. Right, right, change right. that up. Boom, 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 boom. Um, so it's moving in your head while you're looking at it. You're seeing things shifting in the way you could, like, reposition it or re relay it out. Or, or seeing something that I never saw before. Anymore. Right, right, right. I saw something weird the other morning when I woke up. It was really weird. It was like a vessel like sucking into itself and then going black. It was purple too, it was really weird. Wow, can you draw it? No, because it was like, oh, it was like, it was like animated. Like, like the vessel was like pulling into itself and it was purple and then it finally just went black and the, but it kept happening over and over again. But it was like a subconscious thing or something? No, I was, a, I was awake. Or, no. Aware? No. Yeah, it was really very interesting. But I was just thinking about my process and how it's similar but so different because you're you work very differently than I do in that 
there's so much buildup for me like probably hours of buildup and thought and like you know like and then finally when I get focused and sit and do it um and it's just part of being a procrastinator I think or having like ADD or or something like that but I like the way the process works because it takes like a while in my head to figure it out but then when it's like time to sit and do it it's a very like in, um I was saying the other day it's like worship and it's very focused yeah. and it's like a practice where I always have like I have certain like rituals that I do that I do every time you know like and I've even started yeah. wearing the same dress to paint in like things like that that are like you know because I'm a very superstitious person or like ritualistic person yeah, some, some call it OCD some call it ritualistic yeah I have to brush my teeth before I do it huh? yeah like so <laughs> <laughs> but um it came up when 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 I was listening to your interview with the um fuck um this other lady Hearth and Helm no it was really great I loved the interview it came up about no I forget what I was gonna say uh oh it came up about you know you don't see the petals what do you mean you don't see them and that really spoke to me because I do that too you know it's like What's underneath the hex thing you just painted for me? Well, some, you know, uh, they're visual charms. I mean, that's what yeah. we're doing. Um, yeah. So it has, the charms have like a way of working. Yeah, sure. You don't always get to choose how it works. Well, I mean, you choose the charm. Like I'll sure. do the three rabbits one. Right. Uh, three hairs. And right. It's like a visual charm. It's right. like three hairs that share three ears. Mm -hmm. And that's the charm. Right, right. And um, that one I was talking about is the um, I, I'll do an algae's rune. Yes, yes. Um, on a, using the rosette, and mm -hmm. I'll just eliminate uh, two of the petals. Mm -hmm. And I think I had a, who was it? Um, a Keith Brinsonhoff. He says, "Where are the other petals?" I said, "They're there. You don't see them." And, you know, because you have to yank his chain oh, every time. Oh yeah. Oh my you god. You when you get an opportunity to yank Keith's chain. What a great guy, though. Really oh my yeah. god. And anyway, he's, he's like, "They're there." I mean, come on, Keith. You got to get your eyes checked. <laughs> Keith is a great guy. That's so funny. Yeah, Algies is actually the only rune that's ever spoken to me at all. I, I love that rune, and you know how I feel about it. You know why I love it so much. Do you remember though? Because there's been so much time since I told you that has passed. Oh yeah, I think you wrote. You you did an algae's hex sign for me. And, I did a lot of algae's hex signs. Yeah. And then you you wrote in the back and put in and attached, oh, no, attached your <laughs> my signature my signature paint. Yeah, well, there's some practices right, we don't yeah, talk you did, about. Yeah, you did the cover of my um, of my second book. Yeah, how did you forget? You no. hide in hexology. I'm like, she says, why do you want to use this one? Oh my god, so if you guys. No, I didn't. I totally understood. Show the book. I don't have. Well, this is the new book. But I wanted to say though, algae's um, spoke to me. I very visually, as I've said, um, it reminded me of the feminine. You know, so there you go. Oh, right. You know. So this is the book that's the current, the current book the hunter's written, and it's a com um, compilation of some wonderful insights, stories, interviews. Really excellent read. Um, Der Volksfreund. And I'm not a reader, y'all. So if yeah. I if I enter it, not a reader. I do not. You know, it's the time. I just I'm a busy lady. I have a lot going on, and it's taking that time. I know I respect you if you love to read, but I'm not a reader. But I really have enjoyed this. Um, 
and it's definitely going to be uh, an inspiration for how I lay out my book. I like the way it's very conversational and easy, easy to digest and very informative and, and a lot of different cool um, contributions in this book. So really nice work, Hunter. What number is this of, of your publications? This is my fifth book. And, your fifth um, book. The first was The Backdoor Hexologist mm -hmm. in 2009, which is still selling pretty well. This was pre-Rachel, so... There was, but then there was. There was no pre-Rachel. There was four. The, the next four were all about Rachel. Yeah, so all about me. Let me find out about what I do about Rachel. Yet <laughs> again. Oh my goodness! Well, I think I'm working on another one. Yeah. Well, I'm forcing Hunter to write about four books his on life. her and one book about you. Two children together. Yeah. And and you have seven all together, right? Seven children. Including your step, your yeah. stepdaughter. Yeah, seven. Yeah, and wow. I mean, I have one child with someone else, and and co-parenting with Hunter as his wife, we still consider co-parenting, I guess. Like, we bring our own ideas. But um, it's been a really cool experience because they're learning some things that never in my wildest dreams would I think that they would have a... I think Justin Schmoyer said that our son has a hop on me and him and our experience. We got to where we needed to be in our 30s. Our son is getting there by the time he's 10 or something. He's got a real hop on us. He's going to be a powerful fella. Yeah? All our kids are, but, I mean, they've got a hop because of the way that you raise your children. It's really cool. Yeah, he, um, he's probably going to get picked up pretty soon by some tech company. <laughs> Seriously. But I think I think what I guess I'm speaking to is being a creative individual and having I'm I'm hearing you say that you were supported creatively, even though your parents may not have always enjoyed your choices like going to school for art and stuff, but it seems like you had some real support creatively. And um my parents were supportive but it wasn't it was more like you need to have a safe job to fall back on. It was like a different kind of mindset. And I think the kind of person your mom must have been in that way probably helped you to feel uninhibited, which is a gift that you're giving to our children and a gift that I see that you've given to your other children that I was not around to raise, you know, but that you can see the fruits of your labor of being a creative and uninhibited person. Well, my, uh, my father worked with his hands. Like, he was yeah. a dentist, but he was a woodworker, and a lot of, he was saying, well, you know, dentistry a lot of it is working with your hands it's true and um so we would break into his wood shop that he kept locked up and use all his power equipment and uh, i guess um, we're kind of experiencing yeah. similar things yeah we're getting the we're getting the backlash from uh, all of that it's uninhibited like, <laughs> so we were cut we were making submarines and airplanes and all and all the uh, all the animals of the ocean with working with like seriously dangerous saws and yeah. stuff and um so that that both parents and the, and the and Pennsylvania Germans they constantly working with their hands yeah never never quiet time always I mean I remember even myself this is why reading is hard for me because even when I'd be sitting and watching tv I'd be knitting because it's like that's time and that's valuable and I can't just relax and cooking and putting, yeah, and cooking. putting away things from the garden yep. and uh, yeah, it's, um, chopping up meat from no. hunting. No. <laughs> yeah. 
up. I mean, the freezer full of meat, that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. And I raised bees. There was the honey, the fishing. Uh, there was this constant... Uh, I mean, because I mean, there is, like, I mean, cooking, there is a, it is a form of magic. Oh, 100%. Kitch hex, yep. And, uh, yep. And, you know, the elderberry jam. Yeah. And, you know, that's the funny thing is, until I saw it that way, I hated cooking. Like, I mean, I didn't hate it, but it was like a fucking chore. But until I found the beauty in it, and, like, honestly, and I think of Rob a lot with this because he talks about Frahala a lot with taking care of your home. And I think about those words that he spoke about her at the one event that um, I attended. And um, having more pride in your home and in the things that you create to serve to your family because it's love I mean cooking is love and and growing your own food which I have here gardening um, you know it's really incredible gift to give to your family and also to yourself especially in these days and and you're not really sure where your food's coming from and um, the autonomy or the um, you know the GMO situation you know it's more the important. monoculture yeah. whatever you know, they process stuff God knows what they do it's in well, a box or in a a package and uh, yeah it's scary because you know yeah. they're raising the pigs here butchering them here and then processing them in China what the actual fuck sending them back here like what is going on so yeah I mean I love that idea you know there's so many layers of things that I've learned from being with you hunter and observing the way that you operate but the biggest takeaway that I have is um well I have two and one is like you've never made me feel bad about doing things differently or being who I am and you know I'll stay up till three o'clock in the morning doing art or typing or doing something like that and I never have to hear about it like what the fuck were you doing up silly and I really appreciate that I mean sometimes you're very maddening because you have such a free spirit but I do at the end of the day really appreciate it and I see that you're planting those seeds in our kids and I appreciate that because we need more kids like that but just the idea of how old were you when you were doing this sneaking into the wood shop like about how old like hunter's age okay so hunter's six that idea of having six-year-olds, eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds, whatever your siblings were, like sitting and doing that kind of creative process makes my art teacher heart like burst with excitement. Yeah, it's super dangerous, but what are the kids that age, those ages doing these days, which is scary to me. And I think um, something that I'm really proud of us as parents, we do a lot of things that are not great, like... I curse a lot. Yeah, I mean, but, we made models. We, we made yes. all kinds of models. You don't do really do that. We, no, we they don't. Gluing them together and painting them. And, uh, no, exactly. Them and uh, and uh, airplane, we made, uh, still made balsa airplane, um, like that you covered with tissue paper. Yeah. And then had a, a rubber band, mo I mean, a serious rubber band where you sure. really wind it up. And they flew. So cool. And, and, and uh, that, I think, almost was way more important than any or yeah. studio course I took in right. any university was just I would agree with that for sure making airplanes out of balsa wood mm -hmm. especially because it hooked you when you were young yeah. and you found that like you got um, a payoff from that experience which kept going yeah. through the, throughout yeah. the years what I think is interesting about that story is you you grew up on a very like isolated secluded area where it wasn't like you could run to the neighbor's house like we did you could always have a distraction even when there wasn't video games or a lot of computer technology but I think that's what's beautiful what's happening right now with the um, the way things have slowed down because of COVID um, and quarantine is like 
you know, some families are taking it as an opportunity to slow down and like teach those things. And there's less distractions, there's less running, which I think is actually a beautiful moment and something to consider on those really bad days if you have kids. Um, just letting them slow down and it's okay if they're not doing work and they're out like looking at fucking leaves or Hunter's really into rocks, our son, and acorns and his, and all of the kids actually collectively this year have gotten really into the gardening with you. And we've seen our house has transformed. You know, I, I told Hunter there's an idea of food, not lawns, but Hunter's been doing it way longer than that, but we really transformed our very small piece of land into this incredible garden. Some days very maddening and our, our um, elderberry is really out of control, but yeah, it's neat because it's our jungle. Hunter calls it our jungle, so. Well, the birds love it. The birds love us. <sighs> the and, birds love us. And the birds seem to keep coming into the picture because on almost all the work that we do, it's always mm -hmm. uh, flowers and birds. <laughs> the birds, like, the new birds. <laughs> if I was like back in the back in the day, if, if someone would would have told me that, oh yeah, you're going to be doing flowers and birds. <laughs> I'm like, you gotta be crazy. I have no idea. But that's all we do: is put flowers and it's birds. Really true. With a few other animals, and uh, and uh, and we live in that environment. Mm -hmm. Not only in our art, but out in the garden. Yeah. And, yeah, it's uh, very true. Yeah. And you know, even when I met you when you lived in Philadelphia, you still had like a, a container garden. That's always been something that, and I'm sure in your time in New York, you continued that. That has yeah. carried you through, I think. So your your connection to the plants um, is really incredible. So then I also had um, cycling to touch on before we go. Okay. Um, because something that came up as uh, part of my journey that I'm going through, on. Oh, I love trips. Is um, treating your body more like a temple you know, instead of letting it be the last thing that you worry about and longevity and, you know, like keeping yourself, uh, sharp and feeling good and how it, and how it trickles down and affects everything, including your artwork. You know, when you're feeling good, you're going to be able to make better artwork. So I wanted to ask you about cycling and how that feels. I know you talked about how walking, you feel very differently and cycling is very similar to, um, you know, when you're on a bicycle or, or, the first time I was on a motorcycle, it's like a dog putting their head out the window while you're driving. It is that feeling. It's a total um, sensory experience. And if you'd like to... Freedom. Yeah. Well, well I think uh, the, the most important thing I get from cycling is it, it's... It, yeah, it's really good for your body, but mm -hmm. it, it really is good for your mind. Yeah. Because you... Um, and also for focusing, because again... Um, it's like doing hexine work only as a, a aerobic sport because um, mm -hmm. you your you have to be able your mind has to be able to tell your body what to do and if your mind says do it it's the the discipline is getting your body to do it mm -hmm. and it's really weird uh, your body gets used to things very rapidly so let's say you keep doing more and more difficult things um, and repeating them your body will get used to that and um, so then you end up doing things that you would have never imagined possible um, and it's it's your mind it's your focus your will mm. that really cycling uh, exercises 
and 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 that's what I find really uh, useful in doing it. Um, I, I mean, I I ran New York City Marathon. I ran marathon, and um, um, running gets to be it's just too difficult on your knees or whatever. And so, so I took up cycling, and uh, and so cycling 100 miles, I've done centuries where you do 100 miles and, uh, and now here with these only hills it's just the best possible way to explore these hills which are are very difficult to to be able to to get up on some of them on a bicycle but uh, um, I've managed to set the bike upright and get myself physically in the right position to do that and uh, so there's there's like actually no climb here in these hills that I can't do at this point um, and and compared to northern Berks which I thought was hilly growing up bicycling um, down here in the south it is way way hillier way hillier so it's been a challenge and that's the best part about it that's, that's what I have to say about that we gotta get you maybe on a bicycle mm, I'm a water girl Oh, okay. Mesaline. You bought me a pool, which was nice. Thank you. Yeah. This is my anniversary gift. Yeah. Wow, what a beautiful. <laughs> um, so thank you for. Um, I just want to say thank you for bringing me home and uh, introducing me to who I am. I all and um. You always have my back and are cheering me on, and it's been an immersive and magical experience coming home to Berks County with you. Oh, great. <laughs> Um, and I'm looking forward to the next nine years, but I can only commit to nine. <laughs> Don't take number me any further. Yeah, it's a magic number. <laughs> so we've been we've been together nine years, so I, I'll give you nine more, and then I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so, is it over now? We can do it. <laughs> oh my God, Hunter! Is there anything else you'd like to share, or any plugs you'd like to give? Uh, yeah, you can visit my hex my website at huntermyoder.com, also thehexfactory.com, or just hexfactory.com. Very good. Thank you so much for joining us, Hunter. And just to be clear, you are a married man, correct? Yes, I am. Very married. In a monogamous relationship, right? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> And what are your, what's your favorite last word about me? You're the most beautiful, captivating goddess, Welshie that I ever, <laughs> the only Welshie I ever had. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Big Mama Hex. This has been really fun. I'm glad you're my first interview because you certainly um, expanded my my mind blown for years, nine, nine years of mind explosion. So thanks for joining us, Hunter. Love it. Mach's good. Mach's good.